here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? I'm so jacked up just thinking about this match, and I'm standing and pacing in my den. Mikazi now he's not okay, so, so Mik- he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's, he's a boy. He's a man. He's, no. he's, he's man. Man Mikazi. Are you ready? He got PWS superstar by him. And he was gone in two minutes. So in go Bernalis. In Bernalis. In go Bernalis. You're missing a B there, but that's There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! Many, 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 Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Give me a name. I like him. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I like in, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. Hello. I am the king of banter, Joe Lanza, and welcome back to the Voices Wrestling Podcast, the best wrestling podcast in the entire world. And I hear there's a few of them. Today's show will be a Joe Lanza solo mission, which under normal circumstances would probably involve, you know, some porn hub links and lots of despair and regret. But today, it's about the graps. We're going to talk about a lot, a lot of wrestling today. we got a lot of stuff to get to. This will be a abbreviated version of the show, which would qualify as long for most wrestling podcasts. But as you know, uh, we can never shut up. But um, a couple topics that we do need to get to. Number one, the disaster that was the Survivor Series, along with, I know you're waiting with bated breath, more Roman Reigns talk and breakdowns. Now listen. I'm just as sick of talking about Roman Reigns 
as you probably are, of hearing about Roman Reigns. But the fact of the matter is, the Survivor Series finish, the Survivor Series uh, overall as a show, and then the Raw the next night with the with the horrible rating. Hey, look, it's a big story. we got to talk about it. Can't avoid it. So there will be Roman Reigns talk on this show. And I, I think I bring... Now look, the Survivor Series show was universally panned. Nobody liked the show. But I do think I have a couple of unique takes on the situation. Which, if you're a Twitter follower and you're up in the middle of the night and you were around at, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the morning when I finished watching the show on Sunday night slash Monday morning, you kind of know where I'm going with this. If not, well, strap in. Because you're going to find out. Because I have some takes that I think are a little bit different. Look, along the same lines as everybody else's takes, but I think there's something people are overlooking about Survivor Series and the Sheamus cash-in that actually works in Roman Reigns' favor. And we'll get to that in a little bit. There's a few other things I want to get to. There's a couple of wrestlers no longer employed by WWE. Solomon Crow quit. And Brad Maddox was fired. We'll talk about both those stories, and we kind of have... wouldn't call it a scoop. Definitely not a scoop with a Z. But I think we have some, you know, exclusive details on the Brad Maddox thing. Nothing, you know that's going to shake the foundation of wrestling, uh, you know, news sites. But, you know, we had some little birdies in our ear uh, the day he was he was fired, and we got unique perspectives from some sources outside of the wrestling business on what exactly is going on with him, and we'll talk about that in a little while, too. I'm going to follow up on TNA to Pop TV, which me and Rich talked about last week. Dave Meltzer had some more details in The Observer, which came out this past Wednesday, on what the deal entails and what's going on. Now, Dave basically, look, if you listen to this show, you were ahead of a lot of what Dave reported on. But he did have one key detail that we did not have at the time, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. First, the plugs. Some plugolas. I know you guys don't like sitting through these. But the bills must be paid on VoicesWrestling.com right now. Well, as in, right now as I record this, the front page will probably look drastically different by the time you listen to this. But such is life on a recorded podcast. What are you going to do? Giving thanks to The Undertaker by Andrew Rich. As he posts about his all-time favorite wrestler. New Japan Pro Wrestling World Tag League coverage Rolls on, much like SmackDown rolls on, with both Brandon Howard and Rugun alternating and covering every single show of the New Japan Pro Wrestling World Tag League. 2015 edition. Los Ingobernobiles edition. So check out the site to see how all those shows are shaking out. We have all of our television reviews from the week. NXT by Alex Wendland. The Ring of Honor report by our new Ring of Honor reporter, Brad Shepard. Give him a few clicks. Don't let Brad be the embarrassed guy at the Voices of Wrestling meetings 
the intense backroom meetings on our Slack account where we shame the person who gets the least amount of clicks. Don't let that be Brad. Give him a chance. Read his stuff. We have a new stardom review from Kevin Wilson. He checks in with the Goddesses of Stardom show and takes a look at that. New Japan on Axis, as always, by the young boy, Case Lowe, who, by the way, is legitimately a young boy. I mean, I know we joked about it and stuff. This guy's 16 years old. 16. We got to be breaking some sort of labor law by letting this guy right for the site. This is, I, I, look, I knew he was a kid, but I thought he was like 19, 20, you know, just a young punk. He's 16 years old. For a 16 year old kid, he's a hell of a writer. Good perspectives on wrestling, too. I mean, 10 minutes ago, he was like eight. What the hell does he know? But his writing is good. And he's watched a shit ton of wrestling in the 15 minutes he's been on the planet. This is crazy. I couldn't believe it when I found out that he was legitimately like a minor. He's in high school. He's like not even a senior. He probably still has toys in his room. I mean, he's 16 years old. That blew my mind. So the young boy checks in with the New Japan on Pro Wrestling on Axis review. And of course does all of our Dragon Gate reviews. Tell you what. In 30 years, he's still only going to be 46. Think about that. Half the people listening to this will be dead. He's 16. What was I doing when I was 16? I definitely wasn't writing reviews for the premier pro wrestling website on the internet. I don't think I was doing that. Did the internet even exist when I was 16? It did. It was dial-up. The uh, bagpipe report was still a thing when I was 16. Anybody remember the bagpipe report? I wonder what happened to that guy. Is that guy still around? I don't remember his name. It was like an email dirt sheet. You, know, you wanted to get on that bagpipe report mailing list. That's what you wanted to be on. You, want, you needed that. Like especially if you were a kid, couldn't afford the Observer or whatever, or didn't know about the Observer or the Torch. I'm an OG. I was getting the Torch when I was... By the time I was 16, I was getting the Torch. I wasn't getting the Observer yet. I think... I didn't, I didn't get my first four-issue set. Remember those? Those of you guys who still get the hard copies know all about the Observer four-issue sets because I think he still does that gimmick. I didn't get my first four-issue set of the Observer until I was a senior in high school. I think junior year, my gateway to the sheets was the torch. Probably 1993, somewhere around there, 93, 94. Those great torch yearbooks that he would put out, that Wade would put out every year, with the Bruce Miss, the, the Bruce Mitchell quiz. Do people remember the Bruce Mitchell quiz? Chris's Avisa with the uh, Puro coverage, uh, yeah, tremendous stuff. One day, I think we should do a show, you know, centered around these torch yearbooks. I think I'll mail them the rich. Give them a week to read them, and then we'll we'll talk about these tours. I think it'd be fun looking back at those things. 
I think I have him from about 92 or 93 till about, no, not 92, like 93 till about 96. And then from 96 on, I was a strictly an observer guy. But this Case Lowe, he's legitimately 16 years old. I mean, he has a bedtime. Case Lowe probably still has a bedtime. Case Lowe's, you know, he, he's trying to participate in the banter on Twitter. And, you know, his mom comes and all right, Case, lights out. Nighty night, sweetheart. Get that flashlight off. Turn your phone off. Time for bed. Big day tomorrow. You got a math quiz. Unbelievable. 16. What else, would I, what else was I doing when I was 16? This is probably more of a topic for Lanza Unfiltered. There was this Russian girl who lived on my block. And I'm talking like, not of Russian descent, but like legitimately Russian, like off the boat. You know, like her clothes, like she was like five years behind like with style and stuff so she would kind of like get snickered and picked on because you know how horrible teenagers are but oh my god the set of cans on this girl I don't even remember her name which isn't unusual for me I can't I'm, tar- I'm terrible with names I'm really good with faces but I am the worst with names they tell you when you meet somebody you're supposed to shake their hand look them in the eye and repeat their name back to them I do that every single time and I still can't remember anybody's name so anyway, I don't remember this Russian girl's name. Oh, but the boobies on this girl. They, they were unbelievable. We did go into the woods, and I did feel her up one time. That's as far as I got with her. Then she freaked out. She freaked out. I was doing a little above the bra feeling around, you know. Case knows what I'm talking about, because that's where he's at these days. I was doing a little above the bra feeling around, and we got the bra off. Did a little feeling up, and then she freaked out. She took off. Probably for the better, because if someone would have walked in on, you know, me feeling up a girl in the woods, that probably they probably would have got the wrong idea. But I swear it was consensual. What the hell was that girl's name? Yeah. But they, and then I probably went home and read the torch, you know. So that that's Joel that's a snapshot of Joel Lanza at sixteen. Probably not far from what people were imagining Joel Lanza was doing at sixteen years old feeling up Russian girls who can barely speak English and then going home to read the torch. Getting all of uh, Wade Keller's hot takes on the Shawn Michaels uh, WWF title run. Or the All Japan uh, you know, Champion Carnival. Whatever was going on at that time. You know, the holidays are coming. WWE Shop has you covered for that wrestling fan in your life. Does anybody listening actually have a wrestling fan in their life? So basically, I'm, I'm not going to read this copy. I'm just going to do this to Joel Anzaway. If anybody listening would like anything from WWEshop.com, use the code save 5 and check our Twitter feed every day because depending when you listen to this, there's different deals available each day of the week. 
as we lead up to the Christmas season. So I can't tell you what the deal is today. Again, these are the perils of a recorded podcast. But there's deals every day. Use the WWE Save 5 code. WWE Save 5 at WWEshop.com. And you can get all, listen, your Blu-rays, your T-shirts, your terrible T-shirts, whatever they're selling over there on, you know, at the shop.com. We got it covered. WWE Save 5. You know, I don't know if you've heard, but Fathead has a great deal going on right now, too. You familiar with these Fatheads? You know, they have WWE Fatheads. I was looking on the website today. You could purchase, you can have this in your home, on your wall, a Miz Fathead. You could have the Miz on your wall. Who doesn't want the Miz on their wall? Go to the website... And enter the code 25120, 25120. And you know what that means? This is how you remember this. Spend $120, get 25% off. Spend $120, get 25% off. 25120 is the code for Fathead. All your WWE Fatheads, your NBA Fatheads, Major League Baseball, NFL, if you're into that. I don't know if they have hockey. I don't really pay attention to hockey. Sorry, Mike Sempervivi, if you're listening. Occasionally you do. I'm sure they have a deal with the NHL. They got Disney characters, the Minion gimmick, all that. 25120. 25-120. 25-120. Save 25% if you spend $120. And listen, if you're going to buy fat heads for the holiday season, trust me, you're going to spend over $120. These things aren't cheap. It's pretty surprised at the prices of these things. You know, I was thinking of gracing my walls with a Steph Curry fat head, but then I looked on the website and I quickly backed right out. But listen, you should go buy a bunch of fat heads and use the code 25120. 25120. Let's talk wrestling. Solomon Crow has quit World Wrestling Entertainment. Supposedly he had a little chat with management, and it was a amicable split. The old amicable split. Look, this guy's career was going nowhere. Let's be honest. He could barely ever get on TV. When he did get on TV, he was not pushed. And they would never follow up on anything he did from week to week. He was never in the rotate, you know, the, the television rotation of the primary guys who were on TV from week to week getting a push. And, you know, recently he was basically used as the guy putting Apollo Crews over, both on TV and on the road. I guess because, you know, I guess they were familiar with each other from the Dragon Gate USA days, although I don't even remember if they ever faced each other in that company. So whether it was coincidental or not, whether it was to give Cruz a familiar opponent to work with, to get his feet wet or not, 
you know, that was basically Solomon Crow's role as of late over the last few months. I actually saw them have a match on a house show, which wasn't very good, by the way. The match. I mean, it was fine, but nothing special. Which surprised me a little, because I think Cruz had family at the show I was at. I was watching that Breaking Ground gimmick. It was either... I went to the show in Houston. No, I think Apollo Cruz family came to the uh, San Antonio show, if I'm not mistaken. as yeah, one or the other. Point is, they didn't have a great show. They didn't have a great match, I mean, on the show I went to. But that's sort of been the role of Solomon Crow is to work with Apollo Crews. Other than that, they've given him nothing to do. The hacker gimmick went nowhere. The heel turn went nowhere. And he obviously was frustrated and, and he's going to head back to the indie scene. I can't really blame the guy. I can't really blame the guy. He could have stuck around. I mean, the thing is, they're not cutting anybody. This is a company that's not cutting anybody lately. So these guys that just they're not doing anything with are just being left out to dry. And and the longer you're left out to dry, the longer you get that stigma of a guy who they're not doing anything with. I don't know if it was his size or, or, you know, whatever the case, but they just weren't doing a thing with him. So I can't blame him. Now, he's a guy who, I got to tell you, on his initial indie run, and I did look it up, they did face each other once in Dragon Gate USA. Opened the Ultimate Gate 2013, WrestleMania weekend. Yuha Nation defeats Sammy Callahan. So there you go. Don't remember that match. That was the main event where Gargano faced Shingo and did the rope gimmick. I remember the show. I do not remember that match. Young Bucks versus AR Fox and Shima for the uh, United Gate titles. Ricochet versus Akira Tozawa. I remember all this. How about this? Aita and Tomahawk TT defeat the Super Smash Brothers. Aita and Tomahawk TT. Remember at the time, a lot of people thought Aita was the big prospect there. Of course, now Tomahawk TT is T-Hawk. Seen as one of the future pillars of Dragon Gate. And has, you know, flown right past Aita in the pecking order. Scott Reed worked that show. Who's left in WWN Live from this show? Let's take a look at this. We had Rich Swan defeats Brian Kendrick. Both gone. Six-way. Anthony Nice defeats Eric Cannon, Chuck Taylor, Fire Ant, Jigsaw, and Shane Strickland. Nice is really the only regular remaining. I guess Fire Ant does a shot now and then for WWN, right? Does he? I think he does. Scott Reed defeats Derek Rise. Scott Reed has disappeared from the planet. I remember he had heat. He missed a show or something. I don't remember the exact story and was never seen again. And he's a guy who got Japan tours 
And he really blew it. Yeah, he was, you know, teaming with, you know, he was in the scene with Caleb Conley, and he was seen by the Dragon Gate office as the future star. He earned some tours. Missed some shots back here in the States and was never seen again. Not long after that, actually, too, because that was 2013 when that all went down. And I think he's just working local indies, you know, in the New England area. There's a guy who really might have pissed something away. Trent defeats John Davis. John Davis, another guy. You got to put out a search party to find him. Trent is back in the WWN fold with Rapongi Vice. So what do we got? So far, that's two guys out of four matches and 12 wrestlers who are still with the company. This is only 2013. Aita and Tomahawk TT defeat the Super Smash Brothers. None of those men are still with the company. Ricochet defeats Akira Tozawa. Yuha Nation defeats Sammy Callahan. The Young Bucks defeat A.R. Fox and Shima. And Johnny Gargano defeats Shingo. There's like three people on this show who still regularly work for WWN Live. This was only two years ago. This was in the Meadowlands. Showed you a thousand fans. It was a good show. Now, Sammy Callahan's a guy who never really connected with me on his first indie run. I just never got the guy. People would rave about him and rave about him. And, and for me, I mean, to me, he was always, you know, because in those days I was ordering every Dragon Gate USA and Evolve show I'd get my hands on. I loved the roster at that time. This is before that that group of guys really started to wear out their welcome because that, that group of guys, things did get stale with that group. But before that point, I was into it. The promotion had some juice. I was all in. And the Callahan matches were always where I would just, ugh, all right. Let's get this over with. The guy just never connected with me. But I will admit, towards the end of his run, I started to turn the corner on him. I started to really get into his stuff. And before I ever really fully turned the corner, he was on his way to WWE. I think in late 2013 or whatever it was. So, we'll see what's next. I mean, obvious landing spots for him are WWN Live. Because I think he could hang with the grapple fuck guys. I don't think there's any question. He can grapple fuck. We could see him there. He'd be a nice name to add to the mix. Because, you know, even though it's only been two years, the scene has really changed. You know, the WWN live scene has, has, has shifted, and there's, there's fresh matches there for him. The indie scene has shifted. So many guys have, are, are now either working NXT or, you know, and, and there, there's a lot of new fit. There's fresh matches for this guy now. I mean, he'll work everywhere. He's going to work everywhere. But, I mean, you know, these indie guys, sometimes, you know, they're, you know, they set their anchor to a certain promotion and where they're regulars and then they work everywhere. I think, you know, he'll put his anchor in WWN Live. I think that'll be his... And PWS. Because don't, don't, don't forget, or maybe people don't realize, he was the head trainer at the PWS school at one point. 
So, and you know, they just changed their three-way main event in December to a four-way. And the fourth man is a mystery man. I mean, if that doesn't scream Sammy Callahan, I, you know, I mean, come on. They made that announcement the day he quit. And we all know Pat Buck doesn't hesitate to break out that Rolodex when somebody is available from that company. Case Lowe has no idea what a Rolodex is. He's 16 years old. Case Lowe is not familiar with a world without cell phones. He doesn't know that world. Case Lowe has never seen a payphone. And has no concept what a Rolodex is. And they still make those things, by the way, believe it or not. You can look it up. In fact, we may have done that on this show. I can't remember. Case Lowe doesn't know a world without the internet or cell phones. Or porn that your father didn't hide under the bed. You know what I mean? Like, Case Lowe has never watched porn on a VCR. That's kind of mind-blowing. He doesn't know a thing about Seika or Tori Wells or anything. He doesn't know nothing. He doesn't know who those people are. Of course, he probably still knows all about, you know, Ron Jeremy and, you know, because these, 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 the males, they never stop trotting those guys out. You know, it, it's unbelievable. Can we stop booking Ron Jeremy in our porn, please? I mean, can we? I mean, I understand he's a legend. I get it. He needs to have a retirement show like Tenru did. Just let's just have a Ron Jeremy retirement show. All these guys too, all of them. Peter North, TT Boy. Is TT Boy still in the business? I have no idea. Get all these guys, round them up, and let's just do a retirement show and move them out. Randy West. We don't need any more Randy West. We just don't need it. We've seen enough. These old porn stars. I mean, okay, let me put it to you this way. If you were a porn star in the VHS era, you shouldn't be booked anymore. They should stop booking those guys. If you appeared on VHS, you should no longer be booked. I mean, because they just usher these women right out the door unceremoniously. Unless you're Nina Hartley. You know, God bless Nina Hartley. She's still getting out there and doing it. She's got to be 60 years old, right? She's still... She's she's a working porn actress, Nina Hartley. But these other women, they usher them right out the door. A lot of them retire, I guess. It's not the, you know... It's not the best work environment. It it will own you. Being a porn star, especially a female porn star, especially in this era where porn has gotten, you know, it's a little rough. You know, it'll wear you out. 
So a lot, you know, to be fair, a lot of these girls retire. But you know, get these guys out of here too. Come on, if you were on VHS, get lost. Let's move on. Nobody needs Randy West and his creepy faces. Get get him out of here. Peter North does not have unique skills anymore. All these guys can do what he can do, and you guys who know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, like, get him out of here. Utterly ridiculous. And you know what else is utterly ridiculous? I can name all these like 80s porn stars. I've, I couldn't tell you the name of a contemporary porn star if you put a gun to my head. I don't know these people's names. But for some reason, like, you know, sneaking and, and watching like, you know, my old man's porn videos when I was 13, 14 years old, those names resonated with me. I would study those porns like a diamond collector like a diamond inspector at a jewelry store, like with the monocle, like the credits, everything. And I retained all that information. I watch way more porn now than I ever did when I was a teenager. Cause I, you know what it is too? I probably watched the same three videos over and over. So those are all the people I just named are the people that were in the videos I watched over and over. That's, that's probably why I just, I just explained it to myself. I don't know these porn stars names now. I couldn't tell you a single one. Who's the porn expert from the figure four board? Oh, Jim Bob. He'll tell you about some porn. He had a great thread on the figure four board. It was like the, he was like the Dave Meltzer of porn. This guy, you know, he was in this, involved in the scene. He knew all the CD backstories. You know, he was, he was a tremendous thread. I don't know what, if it got purged or not in one of the purges they had over there, but that was some thread, man. Let me tell you. That's a guy who can name, you know, contemporary porn stars. Get a hold of that Jim Bob. But I don't know them. I don't. I don't know their names. I, you know. But I can, you know. If you want to know about Vanessa Del Rio, I, I can write the Wikipedia page. Wonder what happened to her. So yeah, that's uh, you know Solomon Crow quits WWE. Brad Maddox, on the other hand, was fired. He uttered the word prick before a dark show. And in the PG era of WWE, that, my friends, is not allowed. And he was let go. You know, when I, when I read that story, when I saw that he was released, I... I my first thought, and I tweeted this too, my, my very first thought was that there has to be more to this story. Because, number one, like I discussed earlier with Solomon Crow, this company's really, they're not releasing people. You know, every 10 months, every year, every six months, whatever it was in the past, we'd get these, you know, they would purge eight to ten people off the roster. I think the last major purging we had was on a Thursday. I think it because it was dubbed the Black Thursday, and it was Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal and Black Ref and um, and uh, um, Brodus Clay, and you know there were a few others because I think they released uh, about eight people that day. 
And since then, they just, you know, it's every now and then they'll, they'll let someone go. But it's normally like the circumstances we had this week where someone either wants to be let go or somebody does something stupid. You know, like Seth Rollins' girlfriend with the Nazi, you know, regalia or whatever. Like, obviously, they had to get rid of her. She's a dope. Like, you know, what's her name? Zira? Schreiber? Whatever. I don't know. But it's, it's, and you know, they, they recently let go of two people for the purposes of the Breaking Ground show to create a little drama and show what the firing process entails when uh, Canyon Seaman, and I'm not talking about porn stars anymore, that's the man's name. And we got a little glimpse of how uncomfortable he is when he has to let someone go. How uncomfortable did he look? on breaking ground when he had the fire somebody. I mean, geez. Didn't he see Moneyball? Quick and painless. Don't beat around the bush. Put the bullet right in their head. He totally pulled a Peter Brand. And, and you only know what I'm talking about if you've seen Moneyball. I mean, that was, it was so uncomfortable to watch. I was more uncomfortable for him than I was for the person he was letting go. I mean, I've had the unfortunate responsibility of firing people, and it's never easy. Unless they're like a prick and they were insubordinate. Even then, it's not that easy. So look, I get it. But man, did he look uncomfortable. That was the first episode of Breaking Ground, I think. So if you want to see you know, Canyon Seaman... I don't even know if that's how you pronounce his name, but that's how I'm pronouncing it. Canyon Seaman look like he wants to, you know, if you want to see that guy look like he wants to cry, you know, watch that episode of Breaking Ground. But the point is, they haven't really, these mass bloodlettings just don't exist anymore. They don't happen. So, for that reason, and also because Brad Maddox is a very talented guy, my first thought was, and I tweeted this out, is that there, there had to be more to the story. And about a half hour later, Mike Johnson came out with a report about him using the vile language before the dark match, where he said the word prick, which Mike Johnson, like, P-R asterisk asterisk C-K, like, that was weird too. Why didn't he type the word prick? I didn't realize prick was some like big time scandalous word. And as others have pointed out, Mike Johnson's a guy who frequently uses profanity and when he's when he's on a podcast or a radio show. That was strange. That's not even profane. Is that profane? Look, I know it's it's slang for dick. And that was the context that Maddox was using it in. I get it. But I mean, geez. There's dirtier words. I mean, I you know, I say worse to my mother. And she says worse to me. It's, you know, prick is not exactly, you know, you can't say cunt or something like that. I mean, I can understand that. I mean, prick? So 
So I figured there had to be more to the story, and there was. Because Brad Max is a very talented guy. I mean, look, he's not out there cranking out five-star matches. In fact, you could be a pretty hardcore WWE fan, and you may have never seen him perform. He very, he very rarely wrestles. There was a period there where he completely disappeared, uh, you know, where he was going to school or something like that, and the company, you know, granted him that time or whatever. So there was a period where, after his Raw run, where he just simply disappeared. So he wasn't with the company. He was employed by the company, but, you know, he was on a leave of absence. And then when he returned, they kind of, you know, he, he tried out some new characters on house shows. He popped up on main event a few times. But this is a guy where whenever they've given him the ball, he's done a tremendous job. And whenever they've asked him to do, he's probably one of the five best actors on the roster in terms of acting ability in, in backstage segments or just, you know, live in the ring. He's a t- very talented guy. He's the kind of guy where he's a great utility guy. And if, if you're a promoter and you can't find a use for a guy like that, I question your abilities as a promoter or a booker. We talk about all the time on this show, the ditch digger theory. The world needs ditch diggers too. Not everybody on the roster needs to be a future WWE Hall of Famer. Not everybody on the roster needs to be a future WrestleMania headliner. You need all kinds. And look, from his positioning on the roster, it doesn't see, he isn't a loss. Not only does it not seem like a loss, he isn't any kind of loss. This is a guy who barely ever wrestles, barely ever on TV. The epitome of we have nothing for you, which is crazy to me. How's he not on NXT every week if you don't have anything for him on the main roster? It might have been because he was trying to work out these new gimmicks. I don't know. But I knew there had to be something else to the story, and there was. So that kind of explains it. But here's the thing about Brad Maddox. And I don't know if anyone else has reported this. And look, you know, we, we had, you know, people knew that I was talking about this the other day. So I had a, you know, source from outside the wrestling world kind of gave me some insight on the Brad Maddox thing, which I don't think anyone else has talked about or, or examined from this particular angle yet. And yeah, I'm looking at his, uh... you know, I'll tell you, he's been back since March. And he's been wrestling pretty consistently, mostly in dark matches and on the road. So he's wrestled more than I thought. But I think he only had, if I'm not mistaken, one television appearance. And that was very recently, last week. On main event. Teaming with Adam Rose. They lost to the Usos. But the thing about Maddox is people have some theories on this. People that, uh, some sources I spoke to. Maddox is a guy who is heavily into the stand-up comedy and improv scene. The problem is, unless you're Dolph Ziggler, the company really doesn't want people going out and, you know, getting booked in comedy clubs or doing anything, you know, that isn't 
underneath their thumb on your own, especially a guy at Brad Maddox's level. So from what I was told is he's been doing this stuff under an assumed name for quite a while now. The comedy, the improv. And the talk, even before he was fired this week, was that he wanted to move to Los Angeles and give it a go full-time. And the gist that people were getting from him was that wrestling might not, he might not be long for the world of wrestling. He probably seems like a smart guy. He may have seen read the tea leaves. He's 31 years old. They haven't done anything with him on television since he came back from his hiatus. And, uh, you know, he really enjoys doing the comedy. You know, what the person told me was, look, you know, when he randomly popped up at the PWG shows, you know, last year, earlier this year, last year, whatever it was, and uh, that wasn't so random. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he didn't fly to L.A. to go to PWG. Let me put it to you that way. So anyway, the interesting theory, and this is actually just speculation. I'm not reporting this as news. So don't misquote me. I don't want to see headlines on the news sites. But there's some speculation from people that, whether intentional or unintentional, he might have gotten himself fired. Either subconsciously or consciously. Might have been part of the plan. To just lay it all on the line. And just, you know. But at any rate, the impression I get from the source is that it's kind of one of those things where he's not exactly broken up about this. It's, eh, whatever. He wanted to try something else anyway. Especially knowing that they're not letting people go. So again, maybe it's kind of a subconscious thing, but he just, you know, maybe he got himself fired. Who knows? And the person I, I talked to knows what they're talking about. I, I, they gave me specific clubs that he's worked in under the assumed names and everything. So, I, you know, it's this isn't BS information. A lot of people send us stuff, DMs, emails, text messages, and a lot of it, I, you know, it's... Yeah, it's gossip. Gossip is fun. I don't know. He's you know you can't really go on the air. But this this is solid. You know this is a lot of specifics. So that's Brad Maddox. I don't know if he'll be. Yeah, you know, he he could be done as a wrestler. Who knows? Wouldn't shock me at all based on the conversation I had. But we'll have to see. TNA. Pop TV. Observer came out earlier this week, and Dave basically reiterated a lot of the same points that we made on this show uh, a couple days earlier, about a week earlier, when we did our show. Look, we know how TNA is spinning this. Just like we talked about last week, Pop TV is in more homes than Destination America. Pop TV is in more homes than WGN America. But that's misleading. Nobody watches Pop TV. You're better off on Destination America, believe it or not. You're better off on WGN America, and it's not even close.
Pop TV sort of got grandfathered onto your cable package because they were the TV Guide channel, and then they rebranded. If Pop TV had been starting from scratch with the business model they have and the programming they have and the ratings that they have, they'd probably be in less homes than Destination America and WGN America, the former home of TNA and the other network that they were in serious negotiations with. So, it, you know, Dave basically backed up all the points that myself and Rich made last week concerning the quality of where you want to be in terms of those three networks. I personally would rank them WGN America, Destination America, and Pop TV. If you want to swap the first two, I'm not going to put up much of a fight. Pop TV to me is clearly number three. And the other thing is, it's not in HD. On a lot of the heavy hitters, including DirecTV and Dish Network. Look, I'm a TV snob. I don't watch shit in standard definition. It's not fit for my eyes. And I'm not Case Low. I grew up with standard definition. And I'm a snob about it. Case Low doesn't know what standard definition is. Case Low has no clue. Case Low grew up in an HD world. Case Low was watching Teletubbies and, uh, you know, Finding Nemo probably six months ago on Blu-ray on his 55-inch smart TV. That's what he grew up with. So forget it. People that are younger than my generation, anybody in their 20s or early 30s and below, adults, plenty of adults, they're not going to sit there and watch standard definition. It's trash. I'm not watching that shit. We all have these $1,000 TVs in our living room. We're going to sit down and watch and watch SD programming? Not a prayer. We all have Roku's and and Fire TV sticks and Netflix and Hulu and a thousand channels and it's all HD. And we're going to sit down and watch TNA wrestling in standard definition? Get lost. You can get lost with that shit. There's not a chance. That's going to be a turnoff for a lot of people right there. And as we discussed last week, every time you move around, you're leaving people behind. They had 1.2 million viewers steady and consistent for the longest time on Spike TV. When they became a, a lame duck show, it dropped considerably under a million, but was still in the 800,000 range or whatever when they left Spike. They went to Destination America. You know the numbers. I mean, they lost 70% of their viewers. And they're going to lose viewers again, moving the pop. People that aren't going to fight. It's just, it's, it's exhausting following this company around. But the big news that Dave broke that we didn't have on the show last week was that as of this recording and as of uh, when Dave published this story, I'll read his exact words. I don't want to misquote him. Quoting from The Observer, Details are not yet available, but it is believed Pop TV is not paying for the programming. Paragon Pro Wrestling, which had been on the station, 
was a time buy, end quote. So, and no one has disputed this, and it's been a couple of days, TNA is receiving $0 to air on Pop TV. And the side story to all of this is Paragon TV, uh, I'm sorry, Paragon Pro got the boot. So TNA, obviously part of the deal was, you know, they didn't want any other wrestling airing on the network and Pop TV probably figures. Despite the fact that Paragon was paying them, probably pennies, relatively speaking. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, Pop TV wasn't, you know, their stockholders weren't attire, you know, retiring to Aruba with the Paragon Pro Rest, you know. Uh, infomercial money that they were getting. Because that's essentially, when you do a time buy, you're an infomercial. That was the Paul Heyman strategy in 1994, was to do time buys in all those markets. And there's still, and look, people are still trying that in 2015. It's mind-blowing. It was a questionable strategy then. <laughs> it's, it's just an awful strategy now. But, adios Paragon Pro. They're moving to Tough TV. Raise your hand if you've heard of that one. It's going to air on midnights on Thursdays. And then they have some other smaller deals with FightNet, U2 America, and a local station, WADL, in Detroit, Michigan. Hey. Whatever floats your boat if you're running Paragon Pro. God bless you. But back to TNA. So they're not getting any money for the deal, which begs the question, how is this even a business at this point? Let's look at this. They have virtually no pay-per-view business to the point that the pay-per-view business they do have is a non-factor and completely meaningless. They don't sell any pay-per-views. Their pay-per-view buys have been so low for so long that Dave Meltzer can't even get estimates from cable companies to how many people are buying these things. Um, they're not selling any pay-per-views. They're not making any money on that front, or they're making you know money that's completely insignificant. They're receiving $0 from their television. They haven't run an actual show in, in God knows how long. They just canceled the next like half dozen. The la- they canceled a bunch of house shows. Now they just canceled the India tour. So they're not even running any shows. They're, so they're receiving zero money at the gate. They're receiving zero money from TV. They're receiving negligible money from pay-per-view. Where's the... How are they paying anybody? How, they're not receiving income. Shop TNA or TNA Shop, whatever it's called. I mean, you know, who's, you know, are people really buying EC3 shirts in droves? I mean, who, you know, how are they making any money? This is, Dixie Carter is just the most stubborn woman on earth. Either that, or she just, you know, look, the Carters are filthy rich. She doesn't need to work. Maybe she just wants this purpose in life. It keeps her busy. It keeps her young. I don't know. But this is not a viable business at this point.
They're going to go back to taping at the Sands in Pennsylvania, the Sands Casino, where they could not draw. And they literally could not give away tickets. And I know people who went to those shows. The atmosphere was as dire as the newsletters described. Trust me. So TNA essentially hanging on by a thread. I mean, we say it every time, but there's like, there's really no next step for them if this doesn't work out. And I, I have a feeling that the ratings, the viewers, the total viewers for this show on Pop TV are going to be minuscule, like under 100,000 a week. I really believe that. The, you know, the standard definition, the fact that Pop TV has no viewership base. The watered-down roster. Meltzer speculated that they're they're going to have to you know try to make a splash by signing somebody. Well, who is there to sign? And how are they going to pay them? And you have these lunatics. These absolute lunatics, these lunatic fringe TNA supporters who are touting this as a great move because the station is partly owned by CBS. TNA is now part of the CBS family. That's a real quote. Please hold your laughter. Don't hold your breath. You know, uh, Chris Melendez is not going to be popping up on CSI anytime soon. Okay? It's not going to happen. If a CBS entity, one-hour drama, had a script that called for a dead, one-legged Marine, they still wouldn't book Chris Melendez. See, the people who run CBS have no clue what's going on with Pop TV and they have no clue what's going on with, uh, with, with, with TNA. The people, yeah, I'm talking high up on the chain. The people that really matter. I don't know what TNA is. part of the CBS family. Come on. You serious? You think Eric Young is going to pop up in the booth during a CBS NFL broadcast on Thursday Night Football? You think uh, I can see it now. Phil Simms, you know, on Thursday Night Football. Joining, you know, welcoming in special guest Eric Young to uh, help him call the next quarter of the game. These people, these people are delusional. The CBS family, yeah. Okay. They're going to bring in EC3 for March Madness coverage this March. EC3 is going to break down the West region for you. He's going to tell you why Arizona is going to the Final Four. The CBS family.
They couldn't be – they're as much part of the CBS family as they were when they were you know, on, on Destination America. You know, there's not going to be a very special episode of the Big Bang Theory with special guest Tyrus from TNA. Exchanging witty barbs with the nerds on, uh, you know, with with Sheldon. It's not going to happen. Matt Hardy's not popping up on Big Bang Theory to uh, hit on Penny and make, uh, you know, Johnny Galecki jealous. It's not going to happen. It probably should, though. That sounds like a lot of fun. I don't know Johnny Galecki's character's name on uh, Big Bang Theory. Sorry, I don't watch that show. It's a terrible show. He was fantastic on Roseanne as David. He was fantastic on Roseanne. Speaking of Roseanne, let me tell you. I'm going to give you a quick Lanza unfiltered update. I recorded what was meant to be a one-hour segment of the show with the Falcon, Mikey Falcone. About a week ago now, we recorded this, where we did what was meant to be a one-hour breakdown of the top ten television sitcoms of all time. And in true Joe Lanza fashion, we ended up going three hours. What does that mean? It means that's no longer going to be a segment on Lanza Unfiltered. It's going to be an entire show of Lanza Unfiltered. I can't make that a segment. It's three hours long. The intent is not to make Lanza Unfiltered a three-hour show. The intent is to shoot for 90 to 100 minutes. 120 if we, you know, if something cool is going on. Two or three short segments per show. And some other things that I'm keeping up my sleeve until we release it. Well, we ended up going three hours. So, you know, it was intended to be the main event segment of show number one. But that kind of thwarted my plans. So I believe the Falcon coming on to discuss the top ten sitcoms of all time is going to be episode number two and a standalone segment. Three hours of me and the Falcon bantering about television sitcoms. Probably episode two. But what that does mean is I need, a, I need a new main event segment for episode number one, which might delay the show a couple days. I got a couple ideas. I got some stuff in the can. We'll see what happens. But the show is coming. And talking about Roseanne and David Connor made me think of that because I'll tell you what. Well, you know what? I'm going to make you guys listen. Listen to the show. I don't want to give it away. But I know the Falcon's listening, and I know he's thinking what I'm thinking now as I brought up Roseanne. So get at me, Falcon. We, you know, we got to discuss that. There was a run-in 
on that show with the Falcon 2 that cannot be missed. And I'm not going to give that away either. In the first 10 minutes of that show, there is a, a special guest does a run-in. I, and this, it's just, it's fantastic radio. So keep an eye. At Lanza Unfiltered, if you're not already following. A lot of people from the wrestling world have uh, followed that account. Thank you. So the main event segment of this show, this special holiday edition of Voices of Wrestling, no Rich Krejci. He should be back next week. Is WWE Survivor Series. Can't ignore it. Can't ignore it. Too big of a story. Cannot be ignored. And we might as well start right at the top or the bottom, depending how you look at things, and talk about the main event. Where do I even start? So, here's the thing. We know that nobody cares about Sheamus. And the company didn't really help themselves by making him look like a complete geek earlier in the show. I don't know if that was them thinking that they were, you know, throwing a little misdirection and making people think he wouldn't cash in because he lost his match and he did, like, really bad comedy before his match. But instead of throwing people off the scent, it just made people even less interested in Sheamus than they were before. And if there is someone who is the epitome of a mid-carder that nobody gives a fuck about in that company, it's Sheamus. He's been more over than this at points. He's not that over right now. He's not over at all. I think the Raw rating may have bared that out. A highly questionable creative decision which apparently was a last-minute change, as this was going to be the crowning moment for Roman Reigns. And much of the banter and much of the analysis is that they are continually botching this Roman Reigns push, and this was the icing on the cake, so to speak. And they have made mistakes with Roman Reigns' push. There's no question about it. They have not handled him the way I would handle him. If my intention was to make him the top star in the company. But I will say this, and this is sort of a unique take that I don't think anyone else has, has, um, has argued for. And I, I really think uh, the, the, the booking of uh, Sheamus cashing in the case and what an utter and miserable failure it is. And how it's just more of the same with another authority lackey holding the title. Which we all figured was how the show would end. Whether it was Dean Ambrose or Roman Reigns turning. But it turned out to be Sheamus cashing in. And not turning because he was already a heel. But at the end of the day, as we had speculated here. And as others had spent And look, that, that wasn't a unique opinion. That this show was going to end with an authority lackey holding the title again. Much more of the same. The shit that hasn't worked since Daniel Bryan got injured and, 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 and stopped working. I mean, this authority stuff just hasn't worked. 
It doesn't connect. People don't care. You can, you, can, you can tell me until you're purple in the face what a great performer Stephanie McMahon is. Nobody gives a fuck about Stephanie McMahon. Go away, Heat, along with the authority storyline. It's overdone. It's much more the same. And the wrestling world gave a collective eye roll when Sheamus cashed in his money in the bank and won the title. And Trip and Triple H raised his hand and took him in as the latest authority lackey slash representative. We've seen it all before. And then Sheamus goes on Raw and does a jokey promo where he's practically on his hands and knees begging people to chant, you look stupid at him. And the crowd couldn't even be, couldn't even care enough to chant, you look stupid at him. They just don't care about the guy. He was begging them. And I don't know what people at home were thinking because nobody was watching at home. Another record low rating. And the point that I'm getting to here, and the angle that I don't think anybody's talking about, is as bad as it is that they went to Sheamus, as bad as it is as they went back to the old authority lackey trope, as bad as it is that everyone's sick of the money in the bank cash-ins, as bad as all that is, Sheamus is the lightning rod here. And it's removing all of that negativity away from Roman Reigns when in reality he's not over either. And because we're all pissed off at the Sheamus decision, that fact has been obscured. And I know there's people screaming at their laptop, phone, radio, however they're listening to this. And they're saying, but wait a minute, Joe. Roman Reigns got good reactions on Raw. Indeed he did. Roman Reigns gets good reactions, I don't know, every third or fourth city they go to. This is a guy who they want to carry the company for the next decade. He's got to do better than getting okay reactions. Because let's not go crazy with the pops he got on Raw. You could argue he didn't even get the biggest pops on Raw. But let's not go crazy over one Raw. This is a guy they expect to carry the company for the next decade. Let me see him. Let me see the roof blow off of four buildings in a row. Is that too much to ask? Give me a month straight where fans are completely losing their shit for this guy like the glass just broke and Stone Cold Steve Austin just walked to the ring. Let me see the roof blow off this place the same way as if, if you smell, hit the, hit the speakers, what The Rock is cooking. Let me see that. He doesn't get those kind of pops. Let me see the roof blow off the place 
Like John Cena's played out beat is hitting the speakers. He doesn't even get Cena pops. I mean, we've gotten to the point where this guy gets a polite reaction on Raw and we're doing somersaults. Ah, the Raw crowd loves Roman Reigns this week. Okay, hold on a second. They didn't love him. They liked him. And he got nice pops. Were these pops indicative of the guy that... that, that, You're running this company. Your life and your mortgage depends on running this company. Put yourself in those shoes. Is he getting the kind of pops where you're going to hand this guy the ball, the keys to your promotion for the next decade? You think he's over to that point, do you? For the most part, it was still kids and women. And unlike with Cena when it's kids and women and the men are booing him, where the men are having fun booing him, that's the key difference. The men that boo Roman Reigns or sit on their hands and don't give a fuck about Roman Reigns reject, are rejecting Roman Reigns. They don't like him. People reject Cena with a smile on their face. Deep down, they like the guy. They're booing him because it's part of the show. They're booing him because their wife wants to fuck him. They're booing him because they're sticking it to their, having fun with their kids. People boo Roman Reigns because they're rejecting him. There's a huge difference. It's not the Cena dynamic. Let alone a Hogan pop circa 1985 in Boston Garden. Or a Stone Cold Steve Austin pop in 1998. Or The Rock getting a pop at the peak of his pop. This guy is not over at that level. And he's not even close. And Sheamus is taking all the heat. In a way, this is obscuring the fact that had that show ended with Roman Reigns winning the title and the confetti falling down, we'd all be laughing at Roman Reigns today because the crowd didn't give a shit about his big moment. Because they didn't. And yes, some of it is the way that they've booked him. Without question. And, and it's only getting worse. These dick teases, like the WrestleMania dick tease, combined with this dick tease, are not helping. I'm going to get into, into why in a moment. But a lot of it is, he's just not connecting with the entire fan base at the level that someone where they want him to be needs to be connecting. So I'm not cutting him a break. He's just as responsible for that record low rating as Sheamus is and as the booking is. If people were into Roman Reigns and his chase and to see how he would react to getting screwed again, they would have put on Raw. No one cares. And he, he's got to be culpable for that at some level. He can't help the booking. But he's not connecting with people at the level he needs to. 
And I know the Roman Reigns fan club is just going to accuse me of hating the guy again. This and that. Whatever. Those people are mentals. I don't, I, whatever. I just tell it like it is. I accepted a long time ago that this is going to be that guy they're going to push. Fine. But he's not connecting. I said 18 months ago or when the shield broke up or even going back before that. On this show, I'll run the tape. I'll run the tape. I said on this show that Roman Reigns, his ceiling is Randy Orton. That is what he will be. The guy who they push as a superstar who is never over to the level of his push. You just watched Randy Orton for the last decade get pushed like he was a a, a wrestling superstar and he never was. That's what Roman Reigns is going to be. Am I completely writing him off? No, not completely. But that's what I said 18 months ago and that's what I'm still saying today. I haven't seen anything that is changing my mind. Remember what the standard is here. Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, The Rock, and John Cena. That is what this guy is supposed to become. Not Randy Orton, not Edge, not Kane, not the big show. No, no. And unfortunately, I think that's his ceiling. The, now, now let's get to the push. He's getting the wrong kind of push at the wrong time in history. He's getting the wrong kind of push at the wrong time in history. What does that mean? This is a big, strong, powerful babyface, cocky, smug, good looks, the smirk. And he's being pushed the same way they pushed Daniel Bryan, who was a small, undersized, underdog babyface. Completely different dynamic. And it's all wrong for Roman Reigns. Why should we feel bad for a guy who's that big and that strong who looks like a dope every time he's about to win the title? Why should we root for a guy who's that big and that strong who sells for 80% of every match that he's in? Whether it's with a mid-carder or a main eventer, whether it's on Raw, SmackDown, or a pay-per-view, in the large majority of his matches, he spends 80% of the match selling and then makes the Superman come back at the end. That's not a good look for a guy with his type of charisma. It's the wrong match formula. He's not Rey Mysterio Jr. He's not Hulk Hogan in 1985 facing a monster of the month. Hulk Hogan made a career of working that same Type of match 
And make no mistake, that's the, Roman Reigns is working a modernized version of the Hulk Hogan match. But Hulk Hogan did it in 1985, 30 years ago, when people wanted a superhero. Hulk Hogan did it in 1985, 30 years ago, and was smart enough, and Vince McMahon was smart enough, and Hogan was smart enough, to where nearly every single time out he was facing a man bigger than him. So he would be sympathetic as he was getting his ass kicked by Sika or Kamala or King Kong Bundy, or Andre the Giant, or whatever other freak show giant or obese man that he was facing. Zeus. Hulk Hogan's worst drawing feud was against Mr. Perfect. Look it up. I shouldn't have to explain to you why. Roman Reigns goes in there on, on Raw, on SmackDown, on these pay-per-views, and even when he's in there with a mid-carder or a guy who never wins, like Cesaro, for example, put aside the fact that Cesaro's a great wrestler. We're not talking about that right now. He's not pushed. And he sells for 80% of the match. That looks bad. Why would I believe in that guy? I want you to think about this. How many times has Roman Reigns worked the match on Raw or SmackDown or TV or whatever and has just gone into the ring and squashed a guy? How many? I can't think of one. I cannot think of one. There might be a couple, but I can't think of any. They're not prominent. I've banged the drum on the Roman Reigns match formula for months on this show from the perspective of it stunting his growth as a worker. But it also has been the, 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 the wrong type of match for his push. He should be dominating anyone below the main event level. Did 1998 or 1999 Stone Cold Steve Austin sell for 12 minutes against Taz and then make a Superman comeback at the end? It sounds absurd, right? I randomly brought up Taz, but I actually remember a segment that he did with Taz. It wasn't a match, but it was like a raw, it was a segment on Raw where he like took off a belt and just beat him up and like whipped him with a belt and and disregarded him like he was a non-entity. Because to Stone Cold Steve Austin, a guy at Taz's level was a non-fucking entity. And that's part of the reason the guy got over like he did. He was an ass kicker. He saved the give and take shit for The Rock. Forget give and take. Roman Reigns just sells the whole match. What is Roman Reigns great at? Selling and making the big comeback at the end. Why do you think he's great at those two things? That's all he does. 
He damn well better be great at those things by now. That's been my point all along. Mix it up. So this guy could be great at everything. He can be. I don't know if he ever will. And it's killing his push. More so, more so or just as much as the booking. Vince McMahon still thinks that 1985 Superman comebacks are where it's at. That doesn't work when he's one of the biggest and strongest guys on the roster. He's not in there with Akeem. He's not in there with the big boss man. And the monsters you do have on the roster are played out and no one takes them seriously. Because they've lost a million times over the years. The Big Show and Kane. Kane, the Big Show's been around for like 16 years and has lost to everybody on the roster. Doesn't mean anything beating him. You know what the equivalent to that would be? If Hulk Hogan was facing heels in 1985 that were in the company in 1970. You know, if Hulk Hogan was taken out of Waldo Von Erich in 1985. I mean, come on. You know, if Haystacks Calhoun came in to challenge Hulk Hogan, it's just ridiculous. Big Show has no credibility. And Reigns is bigger than everybody else. Can he please just go in there and, and squash people, please? Can he be the big dog? He looks like a guy who's on the verge of losing every time he wrestles. Until he does his, his fucking his comeback with his three moves. His little apron drop kick, his little spear, and his little Superman punch. Which, by the way, that sequence always pops the crowd. So there's something there. Or it just tells you that WWE crowds are Pavlonian, like, they've always, like, like Vince McMahon has taught them to be, which is a double-edged sword. It helps in a lot of ways, and it hurts in a lot of ways. Because now what do fans do during a Roman Reigns match? They sit on their hands and wait for that comeback. Because that's what they've been trained to look for with this guy. There's no reason to react to anything until he makes that comeback. In a way, the Money in the Bank briefcase ending at Survivor Series was the best thing that could happen to the Roman's Reigns push from the perspective of, it's like, the narrative now is, oh, poor Roman. Which is kind of the idea where they want you to get behind him now as this guy who's always getting screwed. I don't think people will, not to the level they want. But to the smarks and the people listening to this and the people who analyze wrestling, it took all the heat off of Roman and put it on Sheamus in the booking. When the simple fact was, Roman wasn't over that night either. And don't come at me with dead crowd. Don't come at me with the dead Atlanta crowd. Steve Austin ever get pops like that? Lack, did ever get a lack of a pop the way Roman Reigns does? 75% of the time. So don't come at me with dead crowds. 
If this guy was the mega star that they want him to be, dead crowds wouldn't matter. I'm sure there were crowds that didn't react to Kai and Ty that blew the fucking roof off for Steve Austin. Stop making excuses. They got work to do with this guy. And the problem is they don't have a backup plan. There's no backup plan. It's Roman or bust. That push is coming. That title win is coming. Is it coming at TLC? That'd be another mistake. But it's also be a mistake to beat him again. This is the proverbial booked into a corner at TLC. What do you do? You crown this guy at TLC? You might if the ratings keep coming out this way. Which shame is it with the title. I personally think the rating would have been just as bad no matter how that show ended. I genuinely believe that. And now they've booked, they've, they've booked themselves into a corner at TLC. You either got to give this guy his big moment at TLC. Well, actually, you already blew his big moment. That was the other problem with this show. You gave the guy his title win, his first title win, and took it away 90 seconds later. Which, again, part of the problem here is, is most certainly the push. I thought they protected him very, very well up until maybe the last few months. I still think he's protect. I mean, they're just protecting him in ways that are antiquated and don't work anymore. The Superman comeback thing has to go. It's 2015. It's got to go. It's all wrong for him. Him getting screwed all the time and being an underdog. He's not an underdog. He's a big, strong guy. Well, man, that, that was almost the best thing for him. Now Sheamus is the bum that can't draw and isn't over. Well, this guy's not over either. I'm not going to break down every match. We're running out of time already. running out of time. Joe, 90 minutes. Look. Special holiday edition. Solo show. Not going three hours here. Roman Reigns versus Alberto Del Rio in the semifinal. I will tell you, I enjoyed this match. I thought this was right on par with the Roman Reigns-Cesaro match from Raw a couple days earlier. Maybe a notch below. And was quite easily the best Alberto Del Rio performance since he returned to the company. I mean, that I don't even think is close. Alberto Del Rio looks like he doesn't give a flying fuck. Because he doesn't. But this match was good. I saw a lot of people rip it. I enjoyed it. The best match on the show was Dean Ambrose versus Kevin Owens. That was a little bit better than the Reigns Del Rio match, I thought. The five on five Survivor match was what it was. The New Day's entertaining. 
I don't, you know, the, the whole thing, the smoke and mirrors with Sheamus trying to throw people off the scent. I like how two members of the New Day walked out so they avoided beating all three of them. I thought that was kind of clever. But I want to talk about Charlotte and Paige. You know, I've enjoyed these... I think I'm the only person who has enjoyed these Charlotte versus Paige matches. I like the one on Raw, too. I like the one on Raw a little better than the one on the pay-per-view. I thought the pay-per-view match dragged. The time that they got... You know, we always say these divas need time. This was a rare case where they ended up getting time, but the match actually should have been shorter for the story they were telling. You have Charlotte, who's irate at this woman for mocking her dead brother. And she's doing somersaults to the ring. And, you know, look, it was worked. Look, both of the matches, both this one and the one on Raw, were worked at very intense. I, had, I liked the intensity in both of the matches. The problem was the pay-per-view match probably should have been a short brawl. It should have been a short fight. And it was intense. It just went too long and it meandered. The match meandered. That was the problem with it. But it was very hard fought. And the match on Raw too. I like the intensity in that match. I think Paige... I, I was all alone at the beginning of this thing when I thought she gave that, you know, ace promo when she first... when she when she turned on, you know, Team PCP or whatever the fuck they're called the first time and then turned on them nine more times. But the first time with the promo. I love that promo. It was one of the best promos on Raw all year. And... I was on Team Page immediately, and she's really done great work as a heel. I really am enjoying her as a heel. And I'm enjoying her work in these matches. These aren't, listen, these aren't match of the year contenders or anything like that, but they're worked the way they should be with a lot of intensity. On Raw, I loved Page suplexing Charlotte into the, Charlotte's legs into the ropes to weaken up her legs. I love her, her in-match trash talk. She's nasty. She's mean and nasty. She's a heel. She's doing a good job being a heel. And everyone's going nuts about her putting in the page tap out on the announce table. What's the big deal? Relax. It's just for effect. You just remember it a little more because it's not in the ring. Okay, can we stop microanalyzing that? It's not a big deal. I, you know, it's it's so what? She does on Yazid. That's her thing. I think it's kind of unique. Nothing wrong with that. What a petty complaint. Look, the Undertaker thing, his entrance was great. A little long. It's funny, I got a text message from a very casual fan. This is a guy who strictly watches WWE and really he'll maybe watch one Raw a month and then he watches all the pay-per-views. Doesn't care about any other... Would never listen to a show like this. You all know a guy like that. I got a text message during the Undertaker entrance that said, and I'm paraphrasing, Come on, Undertaker, let's go. I worked hard all week. I want action. So not everybody appreciated the uh, Undertaker 25th anniversary entrance, but I thought it was kind of cool. I worked hard all week. 
I want action. Well, you didn't get much action in this match. Of course, they held off the Strowman Undertaker face-off, probably for WrestleMania. And it was Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper losing to the Brothers of Destruction. It wasn't a terrible match. It just, you know, it was a match. Bray Wyatt, you know, he really is the eater of... He's not the eater of worlds. You know what he is? He's the eater of heat. You feud with this guy, and he sucks the heat right out of you. Look at his feud history. Whoever he feuds with, whoever he has an issue with, it's like a failure, it's a bust, and the person comes out of it worse than when they went into it. And and the odd thing is, it's not because he wins the matches. Bray Wyatt never wins, and he never wins his feuds. He hardly ever wins his matches. Everyone he feuds with goes over, but he sucks all the heat out of them, and even though they go over in the feud, they come out of the feud worse than when they came in. He's the eater of heat. Bray Wyatt fucking sucks. I mean, he just, he sucks. I don't know what they see with this guy. His matches are never any good. The jig has been up with his promos for a long time. No one likes his promos anymore. He's an entrance. This guy is an entrance. He's got a cool entrance theme, and people like to light up their cell phones when he's walking to the ring. Case Lowe doesn't remember, but people used to do that with lighters. But Case Lowe has no idea. He doesn't remember any of that. Cell phones replace lighters. At concerts, this gimmick. The other thing is nobody smokes anymore. I'm a non-smoker. I find smoking repugnant. I can't be around smokers. I grew up, my parents were smokers, and it was disgusting. As soon as I could, you know, have my own place, it became smoke-free. Go outside. 10 degrees, don't care. You're not smoking in my house. Get lost with your cigarettes. Get lost with your ciggy breath. Get lost with your cigarettes. Go smoke outside and then grab a mint on your way back in. Don't bring that shit in my house. You're not going to stink up my furniture. I love all these anti-smoking laws. Love them. We shouldn't be subjected to people's smoke. But back in the day when there were, you know, and, 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 as, and you know, a lot of the anti-smoking stuff, just people, a lot of people don't smoke anymore. Teenagers and college students, it's like smoking is non-existent. You know, like in the 70s, everybody smoked. Like every teenager smoked. Everyone in college smoked. In the 80s, a little less, but still a lot of people smoked, Right? You'd be hard-pressed to find many cigarette butts in a high school or a college these days. I live in a college town, and I never I, I don't think I've ever seen a student smoking in the six years that I've lived here. Walking to class, hanging out outside at a restaurant. Well, they're not allowed to do that. But if you're outside, you are. I, people don't smoke anymore. So if cell phones didn't have the lights on, you can, how, I don't even think people, like, what, what's a lighter? No one even owns lighters anymore. Nobody smokes. Unless you smoke weed. A cigarette, no one's smoking cigarettes. 
nobody young. It's not a thing young people do anymore. Case Lowe is listening to this right now. He's like, ah, Joe, I don't know anybody who smokes. No one my age smokes, Joe. What's a cigarette? I don't know what a cigarette is. Is that like standard definition TV or payphones? I don't know what these things are. That's what he's saying right now as he's listening to the show. As he puts on his jammies and gets ready for bed before lights out. And of course, Reigns and Ambrose was nothing. I mean, they went nine minutes, which totally tipped off that something was coming. So that wasn't much of a match, but you really can't blame either guy. I mean, you know, what are they going to do in nine minutes? So they just had, you know, they did a bunch of basic spots and Reigns appeared and pinned them with the spear. And that was that. So that was your Survivor Series. Horrible show. It's funny because it had a couple of decent matches on it. And then it had a bunch of matches that you'll never want to watch again in your life. But the finish was just a disaster. And it's the kind of show that you'll never want to watch again. No one will ever want to watch this show again. Why? If you're one of like the two Sheamus fans that exist, like maybe. But even then, he looked like a complete idiot on the show until the last, you know, 10 minutes. But he did let Roman Reigns off the hook. No one's talking about Roman Reigns not being over. It's all Seamus' fault. So that's all I had. Look, I'll reiterate it again before I close this baby up. Give me four shows in a row where this Roman Reigns guy is blowing the roof off the place. I mean, honestly, I'd like to just see one. But, you you know, a real monster pop, which he's never gotten, ever. But... Give me four shows in a row where he's even over to the extent that he was this past Monday. I just want four in a row. It's not asking much. That's three Raws in a pay-per-view. Or four Raws in a row. Don't come at me with SmackDown where they're juicing the crowd. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Give me four live shows where this guy's over. Just give me four. It's not asking a lot. I'm not asking the guy to be mega over for six months, which would be nice. My standards are pretty low here. I'm not setting the bar very high. They're the ones that set the bar high with this guy. And he's not coming close to clearing that that Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. This guy's Randy Orton. They're going to keep telling you he's a big star. But I don't think he's ever going to be one. So that's it for this special holiday edition of Voices of Wrestling. Voicesofwrestling.com. Voicesofwrestling.com slash forums. A lot of good stuff going on there. Check out the homepage for all the cool stuff we have going on there. Make sure you use the 25120 code if you're buying fatheads this holiday season. And at WWE Shop, use the WWE Save 5. That's the number 5 WWE Save 5. New deals every day. Keep an eye on our Twitter feed. Keep an eye on our website to see what's going on at WWE Shop. So, for the absent Rich Krejci, I am the king of banter, Joe Lanza. We'll see you next time on the Voices of Wrestling podcast. Take it easy. Here it comes again. 
lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.